This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the this is the Skate Podcast with your host WEEI.com Bruins writers Brian DeFelice, Bridget Prue, and Scott McLaughlin. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 195 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, we're a little bit more removed from the Bruins. Epic, to say the least, failure, disappointment of a postseason run. Watching the Panthers go up 3-0 against Toronto, watching just the rest of the series playing out. You feel any better about what happened, or or, or do you still feel sick to your stomach? Because I feel sick to my stomach still. So I don't feel any better. Like I've seen some people say that, you know, and, and Razor kind of had the – or. It, he at least posed the idea on Twitter of like, does it, you know, do you feel any differently or better about it? And honestly, I don't because I just look at that and I'm like, the Bruins could not saying like they would have swept Toronto, but they could have handled Toronto. And again, like there's nothing that could happen that would make me feel good about blowing a three, one lead and blowing multiple third period leads. So even if the Panthers go on to win the Stanley cup, like, yeah, you would sit there and say, all right, uh, clearly that was a better team than we, you know, look, I picked them, I picked the Bruins to sweep. So I'll put myself at the front of the line. Like clearly they're better than a, than a lot of us thought, but you still had a 3-1 lead. So even if Florida goes on to win the cup, I would just sit there and look at that and be like, if you took care of business, that could have been you. Like, look, there was no, you know, super team standing in the way that was going to stop you in a later round. It, it was there for the taking. So I, d- I don't feel any better in some ways, like the further the Panthers go, it, it would make me feel worse because I I'll just keep looking at it going. Yep. The Bruins could have handled that path. Like they could have done whatever Florida is doing. The only thing that makes me feel better is it's kind of funny to watch it happen to someone else. <laughs> that's, it's kind of funny to watch it happen to Toronto. I don't know. Um, that That's really it. I, I don't think it, it doesn't make me feel better. I think it really just may, maybe is a wake up call to the people who weren't taking them seriously because of part of their, because a part of the Panther season wasn't, they weren't playing to their potential. And then all of a sudden you do see them playing to their potential and their threat, but they're, you know, the Bruins still should have had, I think the inexcusable thing, still comes back to probably two main things, which is that how do you lose three games in a row to to get knocked out of the playoffs um, when you're up 3-1? And how do you mishandle your goalie situation that bad? And that's where it's just like, we could sit here and talk about the what ifs and, you know, if they had just been able to beat the Panthers, maybe they did have a clear path to the cup and maybe the Panthers were going to be their toughest competition just because of the way that roster is built up and, um, the way that they were able to match up against the Bruins. But uh, 
all the inexcusable stuff that <laughs> happened in the first round, it, it doesn't make you feel any better that other teams are dealing with some of the same troubles because you still think you should have been into the second round. Um, it's still kind of weird even when I'm watching these other hockey games that they're not and that we're, and that we're not like Scott and I aren't at the garden covering hockey. Scott's there covering basketball now. Um, like that's, it's still weird. And, uh, and we'll get into some of the, the press conference uh, stuff that happened with Bruins management and coach Montgomery, but even now, however far we are removed over a week, um, there's still disbelief and there's still, um, just the feeling of what happened. Like, I still think people haven't been able to fully put their fingers on what made the Bruins go from like really the best team on paper and with the best players to all of a sudden these players are just not themselves anymore. Like what caused them to just not play the way they played the whole year? Yeah. I mean, I, I think just to quickly answer that question, like my gut feeling on that, and I've been saying this very transparently all along i just don't think that they had the desperation level that they needed and to me that's inexcusable for a team and especially when you hear some of the rhetoric coming from the the press conferences you just alluded to bridget where it's they're talking about how they just weren't more or less because the the management brass the ownership brass they don't have answers either and and we can sit here and talk about jim montgomery all we want and, and and second guess some of his decisions but but the players there are far too many players with experience on this Bruins team that have been in the playoffs throughout their entire career to be caught off guard by the intensity of the playoffs. And Boston just didn't match Florida's energy level, desperation level, and 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 I'm talking mentally and physically. And and that's inexcusable because all year to to know you're the hunted, to go into the playoffs knowing the storylines out there about the president's trophy curse and how everybody wants the Bruins to fail and, 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 and get upset and whatnot to, to not be ready for that, to not be on your toes, to, to try to fight back against that narrative pisses me off to no end. And it's, and it's, it's a shame on the players. And I'm not saying that a lot of the guys weren't giving it their all, but I'm, I'm telling you as a group, they weren't giving it their all. And, and I'm not saying it's a conscious decision that they weren't trying hard, but it's, you, you just you you just have to you have to perform you have to come ready to play and they just weren't because not only not only did they just barely miss winning that series guys they they only played well for two games game one they sucked and they won game two they lost games three and four they played great game five they outshot florida they played well they could have won that game game six way too loose defensively game seven they no showed the first 40 minutes and then when they took the lead they sat back on their heels the last 10 minutes so inexcusable way too much way too much for, for my liking and and you know they talked about it in the press conference that Neil, Kim Neely said I don't know maybe the guys were hearing some of the, the narratives out there about the president of Sophie Curse and it seeped into the room that's totally inexcusable and to see like, I feel like we've all said the word inexcusable like 30 times well, in the first five minutes of this because that's that, really the word that's the word that's... keep that keep that ticker going Bridget because it's going to be another 50 times in the next five minutes but <laughs> I guess what annoys me most about the question I posed to you guys is right now I'm watching Florida do exactly what I thought the Bruins could have done had they just held on to that lead in the in, in the end of game seven it was one of those situations where I said to myself self win this game get through the first round, which is a very, very chaotic round in general. And then things start to settle down after that. 
you get half the team, you know, half the teams go away and you start to focus on your game. You got the playoff nerves out of your system. And so I, I don't feel any better about the situation. Um, sorry, I may just mute myself. I feel worse about it now that Florida is continuing to play well, especially when you look at the Western Conference. And there's a couple of guys in Edmonton that are pretty impressive, and there's a couple of teams out there that work hard, but nobody really scares me at West if the Bruins found their way to the Cup Finals this year. So it's it's a very, very uh, missed opportunity, large missed opportunity. Yeah. Brian, Brian's so fired up. He's just hammering away on different buttons over there. <laughs> it's been a couple of weeks. I haven't had a chance to get this <laughs> off my chest. Um, yeah. You, so, you know, you mentioned like players not bringing it or not being motivated enough or whatever. And I thought one of the most interesting quotes to come out of uh, the press conferences with Montgomery and team management on Tuesday over at the garden was Montgomery when he was asked about kind of regrets or what he learned. And he said, the overriding one is it's my job to get the players to own the moment, seize the moment. And that didn't happen. And that falls on me. Uh, Later, he said, you know, those are the things that really stick with me. But the number one thing is my job is to get the players to elevate their games. And I didn't do that. So, like, on the one hand, okay, you know, Montgomery's clearly taking a lot of this on himself. um, And I think to certainly to an extent, that's fair. Like, I, I do think, you know, it obviously wasn't a good series for him and he's coming to some criticism and quite a bit of it's been deserved. But I also hear that and think, well, the like really like this group of players needed a coach to motivate them, to get them to elevate their games. Like we, we hear so often about how great this team's leadership is. And I think for the most part, it is like, you know, you'll never catch me saying that, Bergeron and Krejci and Marchand are bad leaders. Like, I, I don't believe that. But why weren't they the ones getting the team motivated? Like, why, if there was, if there was some lack, lack of urgency or, you know, guys coming out flat or not elevating their games, not seizing the moment, like, why couldn't that leadership group get that out of the team? You know, so, yeah, sure. Montgomery, as a coach, like if you're seeing that it's not happening, you do have to find a way to try to press those buttons and, and intervene and, and, you know, find your own way to motivate the group. But I, I really feel like that shouldn't have been needed. Like that this team with everything they've been through and, and how much of a veteran group it is, like they shouldn't need a coach to be giving them pump up speeches and game six of a playoff series. Like at least I don't think, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe every team needs that. Like maybe there's, you know, no such thing as a team that doesn't need a coach jumping in, but man, like I hearing that, I'm like, I feel like the, these players like should, they should be able to do that for themselves. Like that, you know, so I guess good on Montgomery for like taking some blame, but I, I'm more interested in like why, why that was even necessary. Like why Montgomery even felt like, yeah, that was something I, I needed to do and didn't. Uh, so I I think that one of the that was not his his issue, right? In in coaching, if I was going to go back and point to what he did wrong in the playoffs, um, that's not what I would point to. And he pointed out, well, and we'll get to the other stuff he pointed out later. Um, but 
the whole like motivational thing, I think it's pretty clear that that team didn't need him to do that and that they did have the right leadership to do that. I don't think he can take credit for the motivation that the team had in the regular season because it wasn't him motivating them. I also don't think he can take blame for the fact that they just were playing uninspired hockey. And like you mentioned, the leaders usually would have taken care of that. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, he's a Jack Adams finalist. He's probably going to win it. Um, he didn't have to make a lot of tough decisions during the regular season. He didn't have to be that motivational guy. I don't, I don't even know how seriously they would have taken him if he was in there giving inspirational speeches. Like these guys in that room have respect for the Bergerons and the Flinos and, um, their teammates. And that's kind of, he kind of was hands off in that, um, we saw it throughout the season that he was pretty hands-off in that category where he really messed up was letting maybe maybe even too much letting the players handle it themselves right like i think his biggest mistake was the goaltending not switching goaltending and when you let the players decide for themselves um, I'm ready to play, put me back in. And, and you're talking about Linus Allmark and he's like, oh yeah, coach, I'm good. Just like, let me like, no, at some point as the coach, you have to step in and say, from what I saw, maybe you're not hundred percent ready. And I'm going to make this decision to take you out. Like those are the real things that he kind of let slip and what he should be um, reflecting on more so. I think that's a good point to bring up because he was, he also talked about Bergeron and, and the correspondence he had with him after game three in Florida and basically said, what do you think? Should we hold you out till you're healthy if we win game three? And he was like, no, I'm playing Monty. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, I don't keep, I'm not going to keep hall of fame players out of the lineup. And I, and I, we get that sentiment, but it's, but to your point, Bridget, like you have to, you can't let the inmates run the asylum. Like you have, you have to have authority and, and dating back to when they hired Jim Montgomery especially early on when things were going really well in the beginning of the season. My, my only question with him was, can he be the bad cop? And I know it's not in his nature to be the bad cop. So if you're, if you're, if you're going to have Jim Montgomery be Jim Montgomery, then maybe they should have some sort of fiery assistant coach to go in there and, and let a few of these guys' ass because clearly, clearly there's something missing with this team. And it's not just the personnel because this team has fallen short with a roster that we all kind of said wasn't a cup winning roster. And they've also fallen short with a roster where we said, this is the best roster in hockey. So there's something off where when a team in the playoffs decides that they want to impose their will physically and game plan for the Bruins, the Bruins can't, they just, they, 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 they don't have an answer. Physically, they don't have an answer outside of 2011. The Bruins have, they've succumbed to, to the other teams imposing their will against Boston in different ways, different forms, different teams. But Look at the last handful of years, the teams that have just pushed Boston around. And I don't think Boston had the roster to be pushed around this year necessarily. I don't think they had the toughest roster. Boston didn't have a, a massive power forward that just you can't, you can't move and you, and you fear him coming down the wall on you, right? They, they didn't have that. But Boston didn't have a team that was just not capable. And you, they, they got pushed around by, by the Blues in 19. They got pushed around by Tampa, although Tampa just had more, more talent. They got pushed around by the Islanders, who had less talent. They got pushed around by the Hurricanes. I would say they had less talent. They got pushed around by the Panthers. They had less talent. When a team says to themselves, "We're just gonna, we're just gonna skate Boston into the into the end boards," the Bruins just don't have an answer. And 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 they've addressed the personnel 
but there's something in this DNA where they're a losing team outside of 2011. And I don't, and I don't like to say outside of because it's ignoring it. 2011, they got the job done. But look at that roster in 2011. That roster was very, very. You're not, you're not going to intimidate us. You're not going to take us off of our game. And they had the, the the talent to accompany that toughness. But this Bruins, the the Bruins, that they every single year they 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 fall, they fall short of their goal. And it always seems like at least a round before they're supposed to. And to me, that's where it's annoying. Like you could, you can always, you can always respect the conference final finish. And you know, you won two rounds, you gave it a good go. You lost in six in the conference finals, or you make it to the cup finals. You did, you did, you did a lot there. You did a lot well, but to keep losing in the first round and to lose in the second round, it's just, it's the Bruins have too much talent and, and, and historically, and they just can't match the intensity of when, when a team decides to, to turn it up a notch and just really game plan and outwork Boston. And that, that's what I saw this year. Can't really, it's, but, it's tough to explain. One thing I keep coming back to those, like, to me, they, they more or less figure that, like, they got pushed around in game two on home ice. And I really thought they realized in that moment, like, intensity wasn't good enough. They weren't ready to play playoff hockey. And then games three and four, they were. And, like, they were there. You know, if this series had just gone back and forth and, like, at no point did the Bruins really look in charge, I'd say, like, okay, yeah, maybe they did get pushed around. Maybe, you know, Panthers just wanted more or whatever. But, like, games three and four happened, and the Bruins were the better team on the road, and we're in control. We're in control of those games. We're in control of the series. And, again, I don't know, maybe Florida found another another gear to take it to after that. But I really look at it more as, like, the the Bruins opened the door. Like, they just – they let up. They made the mistakes. Their goaltending fell apart. Like, I, yeah, some of it is physicality, but again, I made this point before. Like, the the Panthers were gonna or we're gonna be physical. We're gonna force turnovers against anyone. Like, that's just that's how they're they're built. They're a great forechecking team. The Bruins were still good enough to overcome that and had shown that in this series. And for whatever reason, it just they couldn't in games five through seven. Like I, I don't think they got physically worn down or beat up or like, you know, suffered key injuries the way they had in the past, whether it was, you know, Grizzly against St. Louis, Carlo against the Islanders, like, you know, um, Kevin Miller against Washington. Like none of that stuff happened. They, they actually got healthier. They actually got guys back as the series went on. So I, I, think it's a little different than than those past years like to me this was more mental than anything and like maybe the the physicality part of it plays into that like maybe you know take getting hit on the four check contributes to mental lapses or whatever but i really just think like mentally for some reason this group couldn't couldn't close it out like could just couldn't push it past the finish line couldn't once the snowball got rolling downhill, like they, they couldn't stop making mistakes. It was like, I don't like they were in their own heads. And I feel like maybe that's some of, I know Neely referenced like the president's trophy curse. And I really hope like that wasn't creeping into the locker room, but I do think maybe some of the noise about like, like as things started kind of going sideways of 
you know, are like, are they really going to blow this? And, you know, how could a team this great possibly lose in the first round? Like maybe some of that got in where they're thinking like the same thing fans are like, Oh, but like, we, we can't blow this guys. Right. Like we're not, we're really not, we're not really going to lose in the first round. Right. Like there's no way, like maybe some of that happened, but yeah, like I honestly think it's more mental than, than physical though, because I just look at the mistakes and it's like, you know, it's not like they they were getting caught deep in their own zone and making these bad turnovers uh, because they were shying away from hits or whatever. Like, no, they were just making really bad decisions. And like, I, I still don't have a great explanation for why that happened. And I don't think anyone sitting in that press conference yesterday did like they, you know, I think they didn't want to like directly throw players under the bus and, and say like, yeah, it was on the players. I don't know why they did that, but you kind of got the sense that like they didn't really have any other explanations for it. Even as much as Montgomery says, you know, I need to motivate players or whatever. It's like, ultimately like how, who else, you know, has like, who else can possibly step in and be like, yeah, no, don't make a blind pass into your own slot. Don't just give the puck away in the neutral zone. Don't, you know, chip it up the boards to nobody. Like don't, don't, those are on the players and, and, you know, maybe Montgomery can do more in video sessions and point stuff out or whatever, but I don't know. Like I, I still have no explanation for the mental lapses. And, and that's, that's what I, even more than like anything physical, like that's what I just keep coming back to is like, why did that happen? Like, you know, maybe, maybe they were just two in their own heads. Yeah, I don't think it was the physical as much as it was a confidence thing. Like, it was pretty clear that they weren't playing with the same kind of confidence they played in the regular season. And one of the other things that Montgomery said in his opening statement was that they weren't playing with the puck confidence that they had in the regular season. And you could tell with the decision-making that, you know, they were second-guessing themselves with some of the things that they did. Um, And they just – they mentally – were not clicking and meshing the way that they had in the regular season. And I think if you want to put the blame on Montgomery at all for the fact that they didn't have confidence, um, I would say you could look to the fact that he was not putting them in the positions that they had done well with in the past, right? Like he had the formula the whole regular season. He had these lines that he almost like didn't have to change throughout the whole year. If you think about it, that first line should not have been messed with when Bergeron came back. It'd been that way pretty much the entire season. The second line, you know, the check line, if when Krejci was there or, you know, with Bertuzzi on it, whatever, he had a lot of the stuff figured out going into the playoffs that he messed with. And I think that that has the ability to take confidence away um, because you're saying – you know what? It's not working. <laughs> and when you put that thought into someone's head, it's like, oh, it's not working. Like that, that can take your confidence away. Um, whereas if he had been like, no, no, this is what we're going with. This is what we've gone with the whole year. Um, we're confident in this line. This line's going to figure out how to get it done. First of all, they have the chemistry to get it done. And second of all, you're showing them that you believe that they can do it. So when you're pushing buttons and you're moving things around, you're pre- basically saying, this isn't working. 
and that can affect people. And also what you're saying in the goalie rotation thing is we're not confident in Swayman. We're only confident in this one goalie. And then when you do that, you put Swayman in, in game seven and you put him in, in a position that he's not fully set up for success. So he showed a lack of confidence in his original lines and in his goalie rotation that he hadn't shown the whole season. And I think it trickled down into the team. That's a, that's the trickling down into the team is a great way to put it. Cause I think from, from the coach down, I think that there was a, you guys have talked about how you feel like it's mental. And I, and I, I agree. And I think that you talk about a lack of puck confidence to me that, that, that just shows a lack of, of mental toughness for, to, to get what was me when things oh things aren't going our way like they were all year to, that's 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 bush league that that is just that's that's the type of attitude and the type of effect you would find on a young team on a young up and coming team who had a great year but their first go into playoffs they got slapped in the face this Bruins team to have that happen to them to me is it, it's 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 indescribable so that I don't say inexcusable for the 50th time, but that's what I wanted to say. It's just, it seems like a lack of toughness. And yeah, I think, I think the same can be said for the coach, the coach, which the coach was looking at a team on the other, on the other bench and a coach, you know, the bench who was not afraid of Boston, who was definitely making Boston feel uncomfortable. And, and there was panic. There was absolutely panic on that Bruins bench, starting with Jim Montgomery. And, and there's, and he definitely made decisions that, were series altering, in my opinion. You could say that different different lines at different times, different goalie decisions. Sure, there are tangible decisions that he made that you can sit here in hindsight and say, yeah, that may have been a difference in the series. But outside of that, for me, it really comes back down to the players' play and and for this Bruins team to be so mentally fragile and soft when it seems like things aren't going their way. Oh, what's going on guys? We, we had 65 wins. It's not working anymore. I don't, I don't feel confident anymore. Am I, am I pretty anymore? It's like, come on, like, like, get, you know, go out there and, and, and fight through that. And people talked about in Boston, how they were, they were concerned about the Bruins lack of, uh, I guess walls that they hit in the regular season, their, their lack of what's the word I'm blanking on the most obvious word in the world, but, um, they just they weren't tested. I got obstacles or yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They didn't feel enough obstacles or whatever through the course of the season. And my I always kept saying, I don't think that's true because they started the year without some of their top players, and 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 that to me was that was that that was a big obstacle for them to get through. And so I I thought they did face adversity. Thank you. That's what I was looking for, Scott. Yeah. Um. They they that was the adversity. I think that adversity that they did they did face early on, but apparently. These people who are saying that are justified now. They're vindicated in saying that the Bruins didn't face enough adversity in the regular season because the first time they really hit it in the playoffs, they crumbled under pressure. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, there were times where things weren't going their way in the regular season, but they kind of still found ways to win. And they never really felt it. So I don't know. What it's, it's I don't know. Maybe, maybe they needed one or two guys to be injured all the time. And finally having everyone healthy and in the lineup was their downfall. <laughs> I, I think if they had just gotten through that game seven, though, they would have been able to prove to themselves that they could do it like in the toughest situation. And like mentally, that would have probably settled them in a little bit like, OK, we want a game seven. 
check that off the list. Now we know we can do it again. We know we can stave off elimination if it happens in the next round. Whenever, whenever another elimination game comes, we know that we can handle it. So if they had just gotten through that game seven, um, that would have been a, oh my God, we bent all the way, but we found a way, like we made a lot of mistakes, but we still found a way to win. Um, and kind of a reset and a confidence boost to go into the second round with. Um, and then at that point, you have kind of faced every challenge you could have faced in a first round series. You had games where you couldn't, you know, connect with the pass. You had, you overcame uh, injuries to key centers. You overcame goalie injury or goalie rotation blunder. And now you're able to put that behind you and go, okay, well, we now learned from that really difficult seven game series, um, how to win a series, how to win an elimination game. And we're going to go forward and move forward and um, have that in, in the memory bank and, and just know how to move on from there. Um, so I, I really do think that even though they played some of the worst hockey, I've seen them play the whole season in the first round, it, they could have gotten back on track in the second round because those games were anomalies. Like, that game, too, was maybe the worst game I've, I've seen them play the whole year. I didn't even know what I was watching. I said that to – there was a French-Canadian reporter sitting next to me. I was like, I don't know what I'm – like, I don't know what this is. Game seven for the first 40 minutes of game seven, I had no clue what I was watching. I was like, this isn't even – like, it's not registering to me as this is the Bruins. Like, it's like I, the Chicago Blackhawks, like, the, the last place team this season. Like, that's what it felt like I was watching. And it was so uninspiring that – the crowd was completely out of it in game seven. Like that's bad. Um, but I do still have that feeling that if they had gotten out of that round, they could have regrouped and they're not bad hockey players and they didn't, mm. they didn't have the injuries. So it's like, okay, there was no reason that they couldn't have gotten back on track if they had somehow managed to win game seven. That's, and that's what makes it so difficult for me too, because I feel the same way. Like I, I, I for me, it was, you get you finish those 59 seconds off and and yeah you just went through a very 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 scary first round where your season was on the line and and you you, you got through on the skin of your teeth and and here we go but then the to Scott's point last episode okay well then how injured would Berger on a Ben going forward so there would have been other things but I I completely agree with you Bridget I think they would have taken a big exhale because I think there was a lot of pressure on this Bruins team to get out of the first round in particular, not so much win a cup, but that first round was daunting to get through that, to, to shake off all the potential choke, uh, you know, headlines that were going to be on there. Well, and, you know, you listen to like Montgomery yesterday and talk about, you know, all those lessons learned and we already covered, you know, some of them, but we also talked about this, like in, in the context of the, the president's trophy curse, it's like some of those other teams that, they passed um, in terms of points and wins the 95, 96 wings and the 18, 19 lightning, you know, that wings team loses to Colorado in the conference finals, but clearly learned from that and won the next two Stanley cups. Lightning got swept by Columbus in the first round, but clearly learned and grew from that and won the next two Stanley cups. Unfortunately for the Bruins, like they can't keep together the bulk of this group. So they had to learn now, like they had to already know because they might not, you know, look, maybe they find a way to keep enough of this together that we go into next season and say, 
all right, they're not going to be the cup favorite, but hey, if things come together, like this can be a pretty damn good team. And maybe the guys who who were here through this learn enough, including Montgomery himself. Um, but, you know, they don't have like, you just, you don't feel like they're at the start of, of something like with this core, the way that you might've with that wings team in the nineties or that lightning team. And, you know, the, I mean, those teams did have like multiple failures on their resume. I was just like the lightning blew a three, two lead to, to Washington the year before and got bounced that wings team two like two years earlier got upset by the, the San Jose sharks in their first ever playoff appearance. And like one of the biggest upsets in NHL history. So you know, with the Bruins, though, it's like you should have learned so many of these lessons in 2019 about, you know, taking advantage of the moment and like understanding how hard it is to like have a serious chance at winning a Stanley Cup. And so many guys from the 2019 team are still here. So it's like they knew like they've learned that lesson. It's not like this was the first time for yeah, for some of these guys, you know, maybe the, like, Tyler Bertuzzi, okay, yeah, his first time, but he was one of your best players, so, you know, I don't think it really, yeah, he had a couple turnovers, but, like, I don't think it was really affecting him all that much. It, it's just for this core, you know, unfortunately for the older guys, like, might be their last chance, depending on what Bergeron and Krejci decide to do, but mm-hmm. for that next core, for your Pasternak's and McAvoy's like, and even, you know, Lindholm locked up for long-term it's like, you better hope these guys are able to learn and grow from it and find something that they're able to latch onto and, and be better prepared, you know, next time they're in this situation because it might be a couple years before they really have another serious chance. You know, Cam Neely yesterday said like he actually had players, apologize in in exit interviews because you know they said like you you gave us a wagon of a team and we didn't get it done and it nearly said he's like players know when they have a real chance to win a cup and when you're just kind of there but you weren't the better team and, and razor has said this at times when when we've talked about this as well but like they off like they knew they knew they had as good a team as basically as you can put together in the nhl and and for whatever reason, like they couldn't get it done. They couldn't step up. And, you know, it's if they were bringing back like just about this entire team, you'd say, OK, you know, maybe they're hey, maybe they're they're even motiv- more motivated now to go out next year and, um, you know, prove that like this was a fluke and that they really are a great team. But they just unfortunately might not even get that opportunity because there might just be too much turnover. Yeah, it's not called the first dance. It's they called it the last dance this season for a reason. There's a lot. It could potentially be the last chance for for a lot of these guys. Um, and at least even for the guys that are tied up for a few more years, that just means it's it's a reset and it's a you know it's a completely different team at that point. I it, it was the last dance. I mean that was literally the way it was branded this season. So. Well, here here's my takeaway. Is it is it fair to say that there's a difference between a wagon of a roster and a wagon of a team? Because there's no doubt that Don Sweeney did the absolute best job he could do to give this team every chance they could to win a Stanley Cup on paper. 
the personnel was through the roof. But if you actually look back at this season, and and I know they won 65 games. I know they broke the record in points. Did you watch this Bruins team throughout the course of the season and say, wow, look at look at all the chemistry throughout this team? Or did you see a bunch of really good hockey players that were versatile enough to work with each other? But, like, there wasn't a ton of – like, going into the playoffs, like, could you sit there and say – and I know some guys were injured, but, like, one through four, like, these lines just have so much chemistry. Like, there wasn't, there wasn't that much chemistry because – they kept changing everything all the time. And, and, and like guys, guys would play together for stretches. But I look, I look, my, my memory of this Bruins team is going to be a roster full, a, a dream team of a roster that there were too many, there were too many toys for, for Monty to play with. He just, there just, there was all this talent, but there, there was a little bit of a lack of chemistry. And some of that was because of timing and when guys enter the team and guys are on long time, long term IR. And, there's reasons for it, but the, the the roster was so good. But I don't know. The, you brought up the Wings team from the '90s and the Lightning. Those rosters were these these dream team rosters never seem to never seem to get it done. And and maybe it's because there's just a lack of uh, lack of role acceptance because you have too many guys that are too capable and different. I don't know. It's hard to really pinpoint, but it just I'm, it's tough I, to I, really describe. I think there was chemistry. I, but- like, you know, I, I think Martian Bergeron DeBrusque was pretty good all year. I think Checkline had real chemistry. Coyle and Frederick and even Hall, like you talk about accepting roles, like Hall on a third line. I, you know, I think he did. And I think, but then he went away chemistry. from those lines, though. You know, like then what? he went away from Yeah, but, but the he... chemistry was there. It's well, just then, then, then we're talking about a coaching mistake. Yeah. So this is like what I'm getting at is like Grizzly McAvoy chemistry. Lindholm Carlo had a lot of chemistry. I think then you add to this team the trade deadline and you have injuries down the stretch and that really throws it into whack. And I, I think it is absolutely fair to say that by the time the playoffs got here, Jim Montgomery didn't know what his best lines and pairings were anymore. And it's really easy in hindsight. To, like it, it sounds insane to be like, Oh, well maybe they would have been better off just not getting Orlov and Bertuzzi. It, like, I can't say that with a straight face because I don't believe that. Like, I, I think those are good moves to make. I love the Orlov move. Like, I, I think you needed a little more certainty on the left side of your defense than, you know, Grizzly and Forbert, um, you know, potentially having to play more minutes. Uh, Don Sweeney even referenced this yesterday. Like, I know people think they're just, like, manipulating the cap or whatever with long-term IR, I had heard this. I believe this. Sweeney said it yesterday. Like when Hall and Felino got hurt just days before the trade deadline, they legitimately did not know if or when those guys would return. Like that was a legitimate question at that time. And that prompts the trade to go get Bertuzzi. So like, I don't, I don't think any of those trades were a mistake. I think they did the right thing. They went all in on a team that deserved to have Don Sweeney go all in. But the side effect of that, that you can say, you know, potentially cost them is there was just too much movement and guys in and out and moving all over down the stretch. And then, you know, Hall does come back and Felino comes back for game one and Forber comes back for game one. Like they don't even play in the regular season late in the, late in the season. 
And it didn't necessitate like all this movement where I just don't think they ever were able to settle on something. I think that's part of it. It still doesn't totally excuse them losing. Like they were still in position to close out that series and should have been able to do it if they just played hockey the way they're capable of playing. But it, it's a factor. You know, I think it it affects players because they're moving around. They can't really get super comfortable with, you know, certain line mates. And I think it affected Montgomery because I think he started to overthink things and, you know, almost make too many changes and get get too cute. You know, splitting up Bergeron and Marchand, like I, I said at the time, like I, I understood the thinking behind it. But, like, how how long have Bergeron and Martian been great together? Like, you, you're overthinking it. Like, that's that's you're getting too in, into your own head. And this was a team that didn't need that. You know, if you if you were the underdog and you needed the master game plan in order to go, you know, upset your opponent. All right, maybe you know, mad genius approach is the way to go. But you were the favorites. Like, you were the dominant team all year. You don't, you know you're not the one who should be like overthinking your game plan or trying, you know, trying up new, trying new things just to combat your opponent. Like, no, just stick to guys that worked. Try again. I would have given a hall coil Bertuzzi line more of a look. I still don't I would have done it in the regular why season. That was so like hard for him to wrap his head yeah. around. Like yeah. that was so obvious. And that was a way to solve the problems. That just, I don't understand what was wrong with that line. I mean, we'll never know because we'll probably never see it together because Bertuzzi is probably going to be gone or <laughs> Hall or who knows. But, like, I'm still mad I didn't get to see that line. Like, everybody wanted it. Everybody wanted it. Everybody wanted Martian, Bergeron, DeBrusque, the check line, and then Hall, Bertuzzi, Coyle, and then figure out if everybody everybody knew that was the that was the solution, except for a Jim Montgomery apparently. And and yes, there were a couple of games where a couple of guys were out. But talk about overthinking the process. And Scott, you make a good point. You're you're the top dog. Why why are you game planning and adjusting for for lesser rosters? It, well, it's it's annoying. Well, and and to some of the other stuff that Scott said too about like okay, maybe if you add don't add Bertuzzi at the deadline and and like you know you have too many forwards that you're trying to work with now. Like the funny thing is, obviously, those were great moves and what the team needed to do and gave them a better chance of winning for sure. When you lose a game seven, and it's in overtime, and it's that close so many times for you to win the series, you think about every one little tiny thing that maybe would have made the outcome be different. And so maybe that's something someone thinks, Oh, well, you know what, if they didn't have to switch the lines up, if they didn't try to force um, Bertuzzi into this spot or that spot, or, um, you know, rotate guys around because they needed to find a place for him. um, Yeah. I'm sure you could point to a million things like, Oh, maybe if, maybe if this person didn't make this turnover, game you know series is over before you even need a game seven so um it's easy to just like pull the little things because i mean it is a fair question to ask did it make them a better team absolutely they just somehow found a way to um mess with it and and i think we're kind of ignoring something too which would be the injuries to like bergeron and Krejci and how that kind of maybe caused the panic that started the the 
for Jim Montgomery to feel the need to start rotating guys into different positions, like maybe trying to compensate for a 90% healthy Bergeron and how should we like move him and, and correct for, you know, a 90% Krejci or um, in I the game. That they would have loved if either of those guys was at 90%. Yeah. I don't think they were. Yeah. But, but, but the other, sorry, Bridget, were you finishing your thought? No, I'm good. The, the only thing about that is, and it's true, Scott, but it's just, and I know nobody here is saying it, but I, I go into a playoff run watching these teams and I assume that nobody on any team is hundred percent. So it's just like, I know it's different for them because they're older and it's, it's, it's a little bit probably di- their 90%, their 80% is not a younger person's 80% because it's just the wear and tear of the body. But yeah, it's just frustrating. I, I, which is once again another coaching decision that a tough coaching decision that you don't want to make but you might have had to well so i have i have a prompt for you guys but i'm gonna put that on the back burner for a little bit later in the episode but because you just brought up the coaching the coaching again bridget and i want to throw this to you guys i i found it very i found it very interesting uh pretty damning as a matter of fact during the press conferences when when Charlie Jacobs was asked about just if he wants change, this, that, the other thing. And I think it was Kevin Paul DuPont who asked him. And and Charlie Jacobs was talking about how he basically said how management, he has no desire to change to make a management change and that the roster that was put together gave them the best chance to win. But he didn't mention the coaching. And when when you're at a podium with Neely and Sweeney and, and Jim Montgomery, it just kind of seemed like a very, very loud silence that that Charlie Jacobs was not too pleased with some of the coaching decisions in that series slash the players. I think he put a lot of onus. Like sometimes you'll hear uh, the, the owners say like, you know, every, he, you know coaching did well. Every, they kind of put on the players, but I kind of felt like he was also putting – he wasn't letting – he wasn't letting Jim Montgomery off the hook at that press conference. And concerning the fact that Jim Montgomery was feet from him, I found that to be pretty telling because the Bruins ownership usually kind of plays the straight and narrow road. They don't usually go and damn somebody in front of him. And he didn't call him up by name, but did you get that sense too? So I actually didn't read much into this. Certainly not as much as a lot of other people are um, for, two, for a couple of reasons. One he was specific, he was specifically asked about management and two management is what he controls that's who charlie jacobs is in charge of you know neely and sweeney are the ones who answer to him uh so charlie jacobs didn't say it in this press conference but he has made it clear in the past that the coach and the coaching staff is up to Don Sweeney is up to his general manager. Um, so maybe he could have had he been at, cause he really wasn't asked directly about the coaching staff. Sweeney was and said, you know, he doesn't anticipate any changes right now, but they're still reviewing and he reserves the right to change his mind. Um, but yeah, for, so maybe Charlie Jacobs, like could have reiterated, you know, coaching is, is up to Don or whatever, but I think in general, like he just, he doesn't really weigh in on coaching either way. Um, you know, my personal opinion is he probably doesn't have a great idea of what separates, you know, good and bad coaching. Um, but, you know, I think he does 
so you know i think he he gives sweeney and, and to an extent neely like the the responsibility over coaching and so i think he's answering more for what is directly under his control which is team management in the front office yeah i i, I agree with scott i just don't i, I just like more so than anything, I, I don't think he's qualified to really comment on it, on the coaching necessarily. Like, he has the guys underneath him that are, like, his his experts on what on what they should do roster-wise and coaching-wise. So I don't think he... Uh, um, although the, the Jacobs, the Jacobs in general over the years have uh, been perfectly okay with firing coaches. It has been a go-to move for them over the decades when things aren't going well, well so... I think, but but I think I think that's that starts with like the GM though because right it's like GM comes to them and says oh we yeah we have to change the coach that was the problem and you know well Jeremy Jacobs back they'd just be like all right cool you know see ya do we all remember what conversation we were having a year ago this week (laughs) or not this week but like was is is Bruce Cassidy a scapegoat like is we were talking a lot about coaching. with a, a different coach and, and what was, and you want to know what we were saying after that Carolina series, it wasn't Bruce Cassidy's fault and it was lack of inspiration. And it was, it wasn't Bruce Cassidy's fault. And yet we're sitting here a year later, different coach. And we are putting, I feel more blame on Montgomery than we put on Cassidy last season um, when they lost that series to Carolina. But at some point, I think we are, cause I think the, the different, I think we are because when you have, when you have the season the Bruins had and you, and you seemingly push all the right buttons and you, you break all these records and then you get to the playoffs and you act like you were an eight seed and you, and you're changing your lines every two seconds. Cause you're afraid of the opponent. That's why people are criticizing. It's like, you got, you got to this point with what you had and then you just, you just changed everything. Cause for what guys, you know? Yeah. And what it, if Bruce Cassidy, what if we're going to these, what ifs, what if Bruce, Bruce Cassidy was the coach of this team this year? They, do they make it through the first round? They make it past the first round. They wouldn't have had this good of a roster. So yeah, they, well, they wouldn't have had this good of a season, but that doesn't necessarily mean they wouldn't have made it a little bit further in the playoffs. No, but I, I think like maybe Krejci doesn't come back. I think DeBrusque maybe keeps his trade request open. Um, they still would have had a good team for sure, but like I, I don't like the, and other people have done plenty of this, and we we really haven't, so we might as well do it now, but. <laughs> I don't like the, uh, like they, what if they just kept Cassidy second guessing because Honestly, we were all just... in agree We were all in agreement, like all season. That, like, Oh yeah, clearly this group did need a change. Like, you know, yeah. Bruce Cassidy is a great coach. Everyone knows that, but voices get stale and teams need a new one sometimes. And, you know, you can't, you can't say like Jim Montgomery was good for this group all year for six months straight. And then after, you know, two weeks of a bad series, be like, oh, they screwed it all up. They should have kept Cassidy. What the hell were they doing? Like, you know, like, come on. Like, we got to be a little bit fair about this. We all we all saw that changing coaches seemed to have a pretty good effect on this team and was was part of why they were so good this year, in my opinion. Like, I'm not. I'm not going back on that. So no, and it only just popped into my head now, and it would have absolutely popped into my head earlier if there was any merit to it whatsoever. But he is a rookie coach, and he did make some. Well, like, no, he's not. He's been in the playoffs before. He okay. Who has more playoff experience? 
Well, Cassie, but I mean, <laughs> it's not like it's not like this is Montgomery's first go around either. Though. No, it's not. But he kind of managed to like he was it was kind of a job that seemed a little bit too much for him to handle. I I don't know. This is just all based off of like the whole season. We're not going to, you know, pivot and say, oh, you know, maybe they should have kept Cassie because I don't think they should have. I think Montgomery was the right move, but just kind of a thought that pops up when we're thinking about all the, like all of the things that changed from last season to this season for them to first of all, become this better team and this serious cup contending team um, to what fell apart for them. Um, So, well, and also what I would say, what I would say, Scott, to your point about how all year we were saying we were praising Montgomery and, and to, 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 to turn our backs and not take after the fact is a little irresponsible. I agree with that, but to be fair to us and anybody else who would have this discussion, nobody, that was the regular season and nobody anticipated Jim Montgomery turning back into a pumpkin come playoffs and just totally reverting and, and going against everything that got him to that point. He, I never would have expected him to do what he did in the playoffs with all those. I, I, I just, to, to, I mean, the Bergeron Marshan split alone. Could anybody have ever imagined that even for a period, but he literally, he changed everything. He, he changed you guys. When I was earlier talking about chemistry, I was more so alluding to like the playoff roster, not so much throughout the year because they did have chemistry throughout the year. But when they got, when, when April 15th came around, and you had this dream team of players that just hadn't really played with each other consistently enough. And we, and you guys talked about the Hall Coyle Bertuzzi line, never, never played together. Uh, he just, when it got to the playoffs, because they had this new treasure chest of players and he just, there wasn't the chemistry and he kept changing the lines. So yes, he was great for this team in the regular season. He got them to the regular season that they had going forward. He needs to trust his gut more and stick to what got him to where he was. And if he's going to be a playoff coach, who just, panics a lot and hopefully this is a learning experience for him but if he's their coach going forward and i have no doubts he is and i want him to be but he's he's gonna have to learn how to coach in the playoffs a little bit better to bridget's point about who's more experienced and yes you learn through experience that's what experience is right so he's gaining that experience as we speak but yeah as far as bruce cassidy goes i don't find it mutually exclusive bruce cassidy could win a stanley cup for vegas this year and i'm not going to sit there and say well he would have won a cup with the Bruins this year. It's it's apples and oranges. But I will say that will be a talking point. That's You can bet your ass that's going to be on Boston Radio if, if, if Vegas wins the cup. And I don't know. Sure, maybe, maybe, maybe that – see, it wasn't the coach. It was the players. And to sit here and say it's the players is accurate. Like, this is on the players. Let's let's We can talk about Montgomery all we want, and it, it does come down to the players. And regardless of what the coach puts out over the boards, like the players, they gotta they gotta execute. And um, if Bruce Cassidy wins a cup, I'll be so happy for him because he deserves it. But yeah, it's definitely a tough game to play. It's just tough to it's apples to oranges, you know. Yeah, like again, what I come back to is like I don't think anyone ever questioned whether Bruce Cassidy is a great coach. Like he clearly is, and Vegas was such a great situation for him to go to because. It is a talented team, you know, pretty loaded roster, but one that needed to play a lot better defensively. And like, that's his strength. Like that's, and he has gotten that out of them. Like it's, it's been a perfect match so far. Let's see how far it goes. Um, 
you know, but even like even just on the ice, like you look at what was one of the things we heard when they moved on from Cassidy or, or that we heard after last season. It was they had to find a way to score gr- more greasy goals in the playoffs. They had to get to inside ice more. Well, they did that all year. Like their high danger chances, their goals scored in close were all up. Adding something like Bertuzzi only added to that. And ultimately, offense wasn't the issue in this series. So like that part of it worked. Like they were a better offensive team that scored greasier goals that, you know, worked to score the way you have to score in the playoffs. Now, did they ultimately sacrifice too much defense to do it? I, I still don't really think so. Like I still, I I still think the system itself was okay. It's just, it's just the terrible breakdowns and mistakes. Like, yeah, I think they probably sacrificed some defense. They weren't, you know, um, maybe as stout in their own zone as they might have been under Cassidy, but that was by design. Like that was something they identified you have to sacrifice some defense if you're going to add offense. Like if you're going to take more chances offensively, like that's, that's how it works. Like you, you don't, you don't really get to do both. And to whatever extent that you can do both, this team actually did it most of the season. Um, but yeah, like you were probably going to give up a little bit more and all season long, this team had the incredibly great goaltending to make up for that, make up for whatever chances you gave up. And, you know, I know like we haven't, really got into goaltending this podcast all that much, but it's like, that's obviously another thing that just fell apart. Like you, Don Sweeney yesterday called it. uh, I think it was Sweeney. Yeah. It was Sweeney who called it average goaltending. You know, when he was breaking down reasons, they lost the series. He said goaltending was average. I would say that was being generous. I don't think their goaltending was even average, especially not the last three games, especially not games five and six from all Mark in particular. So um, you know, like Brian, you referenced, you know, 2011 and how that team didn't get pushed around. That team also had incredible goaltending. That was also a huge reason that team won. So, you know, this team should have had great goaltending and they didn't. So, um, you know, and, and that's another thing that came up in the press conferences yesterday was, you know, Sweeney and Montgomery were asked about, uh, Allmark's injury and the decisions around playing him and all that. And Sweeney, like Allmark last week, pushed back on the Kevin Weeks report that it was debilitating and painful. Um, he said they got injury reports every day, and Allmark was cleared to play every time they got those. Um, so they're stick, you know, Montgomery reiter- reiterated that, like, the, the one t- it's not like the one time that he considered you know, going to swim in earlier was before game six. And he Montgomery did say he regretted not going to swim in earlier. And, you know, we had heard the, like, he looked in his eyes or whatever. He also said he had a conversation with Allmark. Um, and he was convinced that he was in, like, the right mental state to be able to bounce back from game five and that overtime turnover. Um, but... You know, and he said, like he said, it was more about that than physical. So they're they're sticking by that they don't think whatever this injury was, they don't think it affected his play. I I still don't think I fully believe that because I just didn't think Allmark looked like himself, and I think you know the physical side of it has to play some role in that. But 
Um, but yeah, that and and Montgomery, by the way, also tried to uh, move the bus off of uh, Bob Asenza too, and because said, you that know, was somebody he got criticized for. Yeah, and well, I mean, look, deserve it so. Like he deferred to Asenza all year, said, you know, it's his decision, and so yeah. So then when something goes sideways and people have a problem with the goaltending decision, yeah, they're gonna look at it and be like, wait, so is Montgomery just throwing goalie Bob under the bus? And you know, Montgomery clarified yesterday that yeah, he relies on Asenza a lot, but he's the head coach, and the final call is his. So he finally got that part of it right, but like. Definitely do think it was a misstep not to say that earlier. Bridget, the uh, the last episode we did before we started recording, you hadn't hopped on yet, and it was just Scott and I, and there was like there was like a noise in the background of Scott's uh, Scott's Scott's house. There was like a beeping sound, like like a garbage truck. I was like, Scott, what is that? And without batting an eye, he's like, Oh, that's Montgomery back in the back in the bus over goalie goalie Bob. Which, yeah. I, that was surprising to hear. I know he may not have meant anything by it, but it's definitely he probably didn't. But yeah. it also just it's it's like okay, so now what do you want? Like we we're supposed to be like this other guy who is like the mythical goalie Bob, who like none of us get to talk to, and like no, like nobody even probably knows what he looks like. But like we do, but like anybody when they're listening to his press conference, like goal this mythical goalie Bob is just like a like an enigma and it's like okay well we're gonna give him credit we're also gonna be like i don't know okay it was goalie bob i do think goalie bob probably had a lot of say in it but once again when I, like i said with the allmark thing like allmark can't be the one to tell you hey i'm good put me in and at the end of the day if goalie bob says hey he seems okay you can probably put him in you still have to go okay i'll take that into consideration but i'm the head coach and i have this other really good goalie right here um so, and so the thing about the Allmark injury too, is that with the week's report, it like debilitating made me like the way that it was reported that way makes me think of like extreme pain, right? Like too much pain to pain to play through. Um, and so I asked him, uh, you know, on, on like, in terms of like the level of pain, because he, he admitted it wasn't an injury, but it was a, what did he say? It was hurt, but not injured. Hurt, yeah. hurt, but not injured also implies pain, like a, a fair amount of pain, right? So I said, well, what amount of pain was it that you were playing through? Like, is it was it worse than, than other amounts of pain that you played through? And he just looked at me and he said, that's an interesting question. Or no, that's a, that's a tough question. And I know when he starts out with that's a, you know, whatever question I'm like, I, here we go. Um, but he looked at me and he goes, that that's a tough question. And then and for a split second, he looked like he was gonna answer it. But then he just said, I was cleared, blah, blah, blah. He didn't want to say how much pain he was actually in. So that's the one thing we don't really know. Um, was this like a pain management issue? Is that why when he was making certain movements, he looked like, a little bit off was it because all of a sudden he changes directions and there's like a like a split second of a lot of pain um that's what i don't know uh so i want to i want to do a little bit of house cleaning before we sign off today because there are there were a couple of uh, transactions that the bruins have with some some entry-level deals but before we get to that i wanted to ask you guys straight up have you lost 
trust in the Boston Bruins until you see them hoist the cup again, regardless of what roster they have, regardless of how they're playing in a regular season. Are you damaged internally to the point where you just don't, you don't, you don't trust this team until you see it. And I think the biggest thing that garners trust in the fan base is a team playing well at the right time heading into the playoffs. But even if the Bruins are playing well at the right time heading into next year's playoffs, if they make the playoffs next year, can you trust this team until you see a cup being hoisted again and a banner being raised? Probably not. I mean, it, it certainly it's, it is starting to feel a little bit like all those pre 2011 years where it's like, Hey, maybe they'll win around and, you know, I'll enjoy that. And anything on top of that's gravy. Like, you know, like I, I remember rooting for those teams where it's like, yeah, like, you know, you'll get your hopes up every now and, you know, Oh four or Oh nine where you're pretty excited about the team. And you're like, Hey, this team looks pretty good. They could do something. But then when they lose in the first or second round, you're like, yeah, same old. I'm like, yeah, all right. And I, you do sense that like some of that is kind of returning in the fan base where, you know, 2011, like, that that covered them for a while you know like there was a period after that where you expected more and that in part that makes you know 2013 and 19 and this year so much more painful but you get enough of those disappointments again and yeah it's the mindset starts to shift back from you know we expect to win a cup to I don't expect anything and and whatever they give me, you know, just going to try to enjoy it while it lasts. And I think that'll especially be true. If, if Bergeron and Krejci do both retire, I think expectations go way down and, Mm -hmm. you know, me uh, trying to look for some silver linings, like at, in a way that can sometimes be more exciting. Like you, you know, like it, maybe if they win, like, four years from now, like, I don't know, maybe that one's a a little sweeter. Like if you're not expecting, you're not going in with those expectations of like, we should win. Um, But that's, uh, you know, that's stretching to try to find a, to try to find a positive here. Scott's killing me because everything he's saying to me sounds like what you say when you just went through like a tough breakup and it's like, you know, maybe it'll feel just as, it'll feel even sweeter in four years when I find that right person, when I wasn't even looking for them and when we didn't even know it was going to happen, it's going to feel that much sweeter. (laughs) That's what it reminds me of. And also like the baggage, like the baggage is that, oh, I don't know. I can't, I can't let myself get hurt again. I don't know if I want to put myself out, get out there and trust again. I don't know if I can trust this team again. Um, It's it's the, it's the like bargaining. Yeah. Well, it's like, Go ahead, I just muted myself. That, that was, that's Scott, too. Bridget, you got to get one in. Scott, Scott Scott was so fired up. He, he was pressing all these buttons. But um, <laughs> no, what, what I was going to say was like in, in typical Bruins fashion, though, nobody – this time last year, they lost to the Hurricanes, and we were talking about Bergeron retiring, and, and Krejci wasn't even on a team yet. And we were, t- we were talking, should this team should this team focus on, on rebuilding? And then over the course of the summer – Bergeron resign. Of course, the coaching change happened too. Bergeron comes back. Krejci comes back. And then there's news about, well, McAvoy's out until December. And Marshan's out until December. Actually, that happened before, I think, Bergeron resigned. So so we're sitting here having podcasts about 
potentially no Bergeron, potentially no McAvoy, potentially no Martian, at least for the first half of the year. We were right. talking about – wasn't a thing. wasn't a thing. And we're sitting here saying damage control. Like, and then all of a sudden, Bergeron signs, Krejci signs, and it's – the chatter is like, okay, tread water to start the year. Nobody expected this. So I guess what I'm saying is Bruins fans weren't anticipating this type of run. And then in typical Bruins fashion – they come out of nowhere and still all this hope from nowhere. Everybody gets Bruins fever again. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they had to take us off life support there in the first to, round. To, to finish up the uh, dating analogy, Brian, it seemed too good to be true. And it was. It was. But, but I would say, I would say to tie this into a couple of, a little bit of the future, because, because what Scott's talking about is true. Like there are, not every postseason is created diff- is created equal, and it has to do with expectations from a fan base. For example, the Bruins lost in round one, game seven this year, and it feels like it is it is an empty pit in everybody's stomachs, especially because of the expectations and the roster this team had. Same result in 2008 was the kickstart of 15 years of excellence for this Bruins team and that was a that was a round one seven game series but that Bruins team went to seven against Montreal that Bruins team squeaked into the playoffs it was fresh off of two or three missed postseasons and that team just had so much grit and they tried their best but nobody expected much of them but they worked their ass off and they gave us a they gave us an incredible series a couple of great games at home game three Mark Savard in overtime game six in Boston with the 5-4 win really really brought life back into the city for playoff hockey. So if, 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 if there's a lack of expectations and then you start to bring in some young, some young talent and you have a couple of playoff runs where you just, you see a team growing. I think that's the excitement Scott's alluding to where you can kind of see something build, build again and resurrect itself from the, from the ground up, not the ground up, but a little bit. And that leads us into just a little bit of the future of the Bruins and how Cam Neely and Don Sweeney alluded to the fact of, look, this team has some, some financial constraints going into next year there's going to be some ufas that or just free agents in general that i just we just we don't think they'll be back and the bruins are going to have to try to maybe find a couple of trade partners the bruins might be active at the at the draft this year with maybe some trading trading away some some key pieces to some teams that are maybe a piece or two away in their mind and and of course the bruins also had a couple of uh signings this week for some younger players if you guys wanted to dive into into that real quick but it's just a the Bruins that they've acknowledged that they're they're retooling on the fly, just to put it lightly. And how much they're retooling depends on some personnel decisions this summer. But maybe, guys, your opinions on Lowry and and uh, was it uh, Poitra? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Poitra. So, yeah. So yeah, so they signed Lowry to his two-year entry-level contract, which was expected because he had initially just signed an amateur tryout agreement with. Um, with Providence. So basically that just means like, he's not, he wasn't burning a year of his ELC this year. And there was going to be the ELC to come after the season. So no surprise there. Um, do you think it's worth, you know, cause I feel like every time a player signs an ELC, like this comes up as to how it works is doesn't mean he's in Boston next year. And you know, it's a $925,000 NHL cap hit. But that's only if he's in Boston. If he's in Providence, he's not caught. He's not, you know, almost a million dollars against the Bruins cap. So don't worry about like 
oh, they only have $5 million in cap space and they're spending like a million of it on, on this kid. No, not, not the case. Um, and then Poitro signing his ELC, you know, good to like officially get him in the pipeline, but ultimately doesn't mean a ton. Like he can still go back to the OHL next year. Um, or they, you know, perhaps they decide he is ready for the pros, but I, I kind of doubt that. I, I feel like he's probably going back to the OHL. Um, he had a great season. He was, you know, he was their second round pick last year. Um, led the OHL in assists this year. Like had a really strong year. So some, something to be excited about there. You know, there there are some young, exciting players, or you know, at least potentially that we could see battling for roster spots next year. Like I don't, I don't expect Lori to start the year in Boston, but who knows? Maybe he has a really good off season camp preseason and, and he does find himself competing for a spot or at least shows enough where you're like, okay, maybe a couple months into the season, he's ready. Um, you know, Georgie Merkulov had a really good year in, in the AHL this season. I'll be interested, interested to see if he is ready to battle for a roster spot. Obviously there's, you know, there's the guys who have already, uh, gotten some NHL time, you know, like a Mark McLaughlin, um, you know, we'll see if where Oscar Steen is like, you know, I don't, obviously he got, he got like a game or two this year, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, Johnny Beecher, does he have a shot? Like, is he ready to compete for a, a fourth line job? So, uh, Fabian Lysel, is he going to be ready to compete or does he need a little more HL seasoning? Like those are all, those are all like guys to, you know, it's a long ways off now. And, I don't know if people are really like ready to turn the page, but you know, those, those guys that are going to be fun to watch in training camp and preseason, like they're, they're going to get a shot for sure because this team, you know, the last couple of years we've gone into preseason been like, well, they have 13 forwards and seven defensemen under NHL contracts. There's, there's no room for a kid. Like that's not going to be the case this year because they just don't have the cap space to have all those NHL veterans signed. So someone's going to get a chance. And then, you know, I think all, all those guys are going to be right there and have, have an opportunity to battle. Yeah. And and this is for a future podcast, but it's also going to be interesting if Bergeron and Krejci do leave the rotation to center, like does Frederick go to center? Do they, do, you know, do they need, what do they do at center? Like obviously Zaka is a natural person to move into the, you know, Bergeron's role, but Frederick also talked um, in the exit interviews about how excited he would be if he got to play center. I don't know. He's funny. He kills me because he probably shouldn't have answered it like that, but he was just like, yeah, no, sure. Great. I would love to, <laughs> like, no, but you we probably should have said was, no, we hope they don't leave. But <laughs> um, anyway, those are, those are things for a, a future episode because we have a lot of summer, not a lot of hockey <laughs> to talk about. Obviously playoffs are still going on right now. We'll get into some of that too. Um, but we were thinking to have Mark Diver on soon. Hopefully um, he's one of the guys who I would say he's probably the top guy in terms of reporting on the Providence Bruins and um, Rhode Island hockey in general. So he's a guy that has seen some of these guys play um, and has some insight into the pipeline and what they might be able to do, who's ready. Um, so we'll definitely get him on uh, during the off season at some point too. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and Mark, obviously, as you said, is very knowledgeable in all things Providence and and the Bruins pipeline. And I, you know, if you look at the if you look at the Bruins uh, free agents this summer, I, I mean, do you guys have any any guesses as to you think they're all pretty much gone? You think who do you think? What, what, I mean, because because I, I I get the sense that all the players you guys have mentioned down in Providence, like the Beechers, the Steens. Laukos, Lysels, McLaughlin's, uh, Merkulovs. Like, there's going to be guys that are going to be gunning for for opportunities, and I and I think that's going to be because, as Scott, as you mentioned, there's not going to be 13, 14 guys under NHL contract. So that's that's going to be the case because certain players are going to be not reassigned. So like the like Nick Felino, is he gone? I mean, Nosek gone. I have so many thoughts on this that it's definitely not going to fit into the last like five minutes of our recording here. <laughs> Like I have thoughts okay. about Felino. It's just maybe, maybe okay. that's our next. Maybe topic. for a rainy day. Maybe save it for. Oh a rainy no, or day. maybe just our next recording. We'll start out. We'll pick off there. Pick up there. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Good. That's a good tease. We've 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 been told that the skate podcast doesn't get an off season. So. Yeah, we don't. Nope, guys. We're and no vacation, Scott. Don't head over to Scotland we'll, again. We'll we'll see. We'll see about that. Well, what we what we can say is changes are coming, and we will be here all all summer to to react and document and predict and all those good things. So, with that said, Bridget and Scott, was there anything else we didn't cover from the press conferences that you wanted to bring up before we go? I know we're a little long, but being a season-ending podcast, if we go a little long, it's fine. But was there anything else we we haven't touched on? Um, I asked Neely, you know referencing like 2014 15 when they obviously had a lot of cap issues and bonus overages then from Aginla and that resulted in like you know basically like a two year reset um and I asked him like you know did he think something like that'd be possible or is the goal to like to remain a contender um and he said said you know the goal is always to be competitive and that you know we got a glimpse of what the team could look like if Bergeron and Krejci retire in games three and four and you know he said there was like a lot to like there so game three was their best game of the series um so I think from that perspective like at least based on that it, it doesn't sound like they would love the idea of like having to take a big step back for a couple years like I think I think they feel like there's still enough here to to at least be a playoff team and then see what happens. Um, so that, and then one other thing that I just made note of was Sweeney, when he was talking about the defense, um, mentioned McAvoy, Lindholm, and Carlo as the foundation. And that might be because they're the three, you know, locked up for several more years, but just thought it was notable because like, I think, um, you know, people always want to throw Carlo into trade rumors and Kevin Paul DuPont in the, in the, I don't know if you guys saw this in the Sunday notes in the globe this past week, even brought up the possibility of trading McAvoy, which I think is insane. And, uh, I Razor and I talking about that on Sunday skate. Yeah. Razor and I covered it the final segment of, of Sunday skate for the year, but, um, yeah, I mean, so just the fact that, you know, Carlo was included there, I think is fairly notable. And Grizzlick not being included in that. 
It's also notable. He, he he did also have some really good things to say about Grizzly, though, because he was asked he was asked specifically about him, even you know, separate from the defense as a whole, and um, said you know he thought Grizzly had a really good year, and they knew there would be you know probably some rotation with after the Orlov trade, and that he tried to make it sound like you know that didn't necessarily reflect how they feel about Grizzly. They they know he has good chemistry with McAvoy, and you know I do think Grizzly's like really interesting because we all figure they're going to trade away someone on defense. They almost have to, or at least have to be trying. But if you're not bringing back Orlov or, you know, signing or trading for another like bona fide top four guy. I mean, there is something to the fact that Grizzly has proven over many years that he can play with McAvoy or with Carlo. So, you know, like there's, I guess what I'm getting is like you could do a lot worse than having Grizzly in your top four. And, you know, if if you trade him away and you don't have a, a plan behind him, like I, I know Lori eventually you hope is that, but for next year, like you, you can do worse than Matt Grizzly and and they might if they trade him away. So, you know, for all the Grizzly critics, like just just beware. And also, there's no, as we discussed last episode, and this is this is before the Bruins have somehow received any future draft collateral through some sort of trade or anything like that. But the, but there's no there's no purpose for the Bruins to suck next year because they don't have a first round pick. So there's right. there, there there is no interest for the Bruins in, in tanking. Oh, that happened too. We got the, the was that yesterday, two days ago, the draft um, yeah. lottery. Yeah. So Chicago. How convenient. Oh, Gen- yeah. generational talent and Connor Bedard goes to a major market. And by the way, yeah, and you know, should have went to Anaheim, but um, they sold. I I had read somewhere that in the next twenty four hours they sold five million dollars worth, over five million dollars worth of season tickets because people want to have those locked in, uh, anticipating Connor Bedard being good um, and making that team more fun to watch for a while. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the Chicago organization has a couple of black marks on on their name the last couple of years off the ice, but I I, I don't know. Do you guys want to see Connor Bedard in in Columbus? I'm all set with that. If the Ducks got if the if the Ducks go mighty again, that'd be cool. But <laughs> I don't mind him in the, in a big market. It's probably good for the league, no? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Uh, what? So on like selfishly, what I wanted to see even though on the ice like it wouldn't be good for the Bruins but I wanted to see him in either Philly or in either Philly or Detroit and get him get him the east like see him against the Bruins more um and have him one of those markets because I I didn't want to see Chicago get rewarded like you mentioned the you know all the office issues they've had with with the whole sexual abuse case and all that and I, they don't deserve it. Like I, I don't, I don't want good. I feel like the, the, there should be some period of time where they just like they deserve to suck for a while. Like they deserve to be punished for that. And now, now they're not. Like they, they got rewarded. They totally tanked. They trade away all their good players, and they get rewarded for it. And like now they're gonna be, you know, right back to, you know, exciting, relevant team on TV all the time. And 
I didn't want that for them. I wanted Chicago to suffer a little longer. Karma doesn't exist. Well, no. The uh, the the Eastern Conference got the Eastern Conference got uh whatever it's been nineteen years of eighteen nineteen twenty years of of Crosby and Ovechkin. So now the West is getting their McDavid. couple of decades of McDavid and yeah. Bedard. Have fun, guys. So, <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. Either way, if it was going to be Anaheim or Chicago, it wasn't going to, you know, it's not like, I mean, the Canadians were in that top five range. It's like, oh, crap. If just some craziness happens and he ends up with the Canadians, like if somehow they get the first lottery ball, um, that would be bad for the Bruins because that's not just conference. That's in, in the, your same division. And, uh, but that did not happen. So luckily the Canadians weren't, so bad this year that yeah, they the, had that higher chance of getting the, the Canadians did the they did their tank all wrong. They yeah. sucked in the year where they there wasn't a good number one overall pick. Yeah. They end up with Slavkovsky, who, you know, we'll see. Like he obviously there's still time for him to develop into a really good player, but by by no means is he the anywhere close to the prospect that Connor Bedard is. No. But that's that works out in the Bruins' favor. For now. All right, guys. Any final thoughts? Topics? No? No. Bridget? I'm good. All right. Well, that'll do oh, it. Oh, wait, this. wait. Plug. So we're going to be doing, because it's summer, we're going to be trying to do two episodes a week, but um, we'll be trying to do a mailbag episode um, maybe once a week or, or every once in a while. So that means um, any questions we have. Scott, what's the email to send them to? Skatepod at wei.com. Skatepod at gmail.com? At wei.com. Okay. All right. Skatepod at wei.com. If you send them to gmail.com, I don't know who's getting those. Maybe maybe (laughs) they'll answer as well. Maybe we need to make another (laughs) account. Um, And or comment on our Twitter or our YouTube with anything you want to ask or want us to talk about. Um, We have gotten a lot of comments on YouTube. So I'm going to go through some of those, only the nice ones um, (laughs) and kind of pick up some of the, some of the topics that people have been, um, you know, having little conversations in there about. We could, we could do a mean comments episode. Yeah, no, we we have a few. Bridget's like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So like, like, yes, everything Bridget just said, we echo Scott's last idea. I mean, I, don't know, I can go for a couple laughs, but no, we'll probably, we probably won't. Uh, <laughs> or I think that might be more like crying, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, hopefully, hopefully these last couple episodes, uh, have been therapeutic for not just us, but for everybody watching and listening, it's been just really, <laughs> Not, not, not what we expected this summer to, uh, to start off, or this spring to start off. So we, we were expecting to go at least somewhat into late spring. But in any event, thank you all for listening. Uh, of course, any Bruins news throughout the summer, breaking news, we will cover. And as Bridget mentioned, we'll be doing two episodes a week. So thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you very soon.